0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, entrepreneurs, co-founders, executives, thought leaders, artists all around the world in crypto and blockchain. And I have have another amazing guest for you today. He is the founder and, and CTO at Flipside Crypto. His name is Jim Myers. Jim, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on today. You're very welcome. Very welcome. So uh, first, um, I'd like to know, uh, what is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now?
1: (laughs) Is anything cryptological? Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, so I mean... Yeah, I'll start with a bit on Flipside. I started Flipside in 2017 uh, with my co-founders, Dave Balter and Eric Stone, um, and our goal at the time was, you know, how do we make blockchain data uh, both usable and understandable? Um, as a team, the three of us, we've been working together um, for over 10 years now, um, and have started a couple companies together, um, been through some exciting times, and we've always been building things at the intersection of data and product. Um, I first really got involved in crypto more as a hobby. I would say in uh summer of 2015 around the launch of Ethereum. And I come from a background traditionally in economics and was fascinated by Ethereum, uh, mainly because, you know, in microeconomics in particular, you spend a lot of time uh, running lab experiments, attempting to create sort of these contrived scenarios around observing human behavior. And in crypto, smart contracts essentially enable you to do these experiments on a massive scale 24 7 in real time. and I think about that almost as like programmable human behavior. Um, so this concept like kind of really fascinated me and pulled me into the space. Um, and while you know flipside is not a smart contract you know protocol um, to say, but many of these ideas um, that kind of brought me in around incentivization, um, you'll see run through our product and our platform today and how we reward and incentivize users on our platform.
0: Got it. So what is Flipside all about and, you know, why it is, why is it a step ahead of other crypto analytics players?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I I like to always start when I think about this um, question, we get asked a lot, you know, how are you different and so-and-so and, you know, our mission at Flipside is to enable blockchain ecosystems to succeed. That's why we exist as a company um, that, does, that guides how we make decisions. Um, So I would say first, we do have a lot of really great data, um, but we are not a crypto analytics provider, at least in a traditional sense. Um, And to understand why, you have to sort of understand our business model. Um, What Flipside is though, is that it's really a commercialization engine for blockchains and protocols. That's how we talk about what we are building internally. And that's how we talk about it with our customers. Our customers are mainly blockchains and protocols. um, And our model is pretty simple. Flipside customers delegate tokens to us. Uh, we run our own bare metal validators and infrastructure, and we use the yield from our validators to drive growth outcomes um, for our customers, the blockchains, and protocols. Any excess yield, we keep in native tokens so that we we really only win when our customers win. Um, so we grow ecosystems by activating community members. We have a network of over 75,000 analysts to drive usage on-chain. Um, and now, data might not seem like the most obvious path here to, to growth, but it plays really this interesting foundational role, um, in how we do it for customers, and how you know it's important in this space. Um, blockchain data is particularly unique. Um, you know, I think ironically, for as open as blockchains are, the data is incredibly hard for the average person to access and to understand. Um, so, our tech basically enables users to. Really do three key things, I would say. And build on top of blockchains more quickly, Um, make rapid decisions. Um, And I think really the most important is shine a light on what's happening right now so the space can form narratives based on on on-chain truths. Um, And the magic happens, I think, when we activate folks on our data, turning sort of potential on-chain energy into kinetic energy. We incentivize our community of 75,000 users to provide insights and shed light on what's happening. And then drive narratives that bring in new users and developers uh, to these ecosystems. And to date, we've paid out um, over six million dollars to the community uh, to deliver outcomes for our partners.
0: It's pretty good. Um, okay, so you said seventy-five thousand data analysts. Yeah. Okay, so say, say somebody like me, not me, mm-hmm. somebody like me who has an extensive experience building databases and being data analysts. Yeah. What to join your your protocol, your program uh flip and be a data analyst and get paid for skills and abilities. How could somebody who's a data analyst be able to do that? what do they do with the data life?
1: Yeah. Um, so anyone it's free to sign up and join our platform. Um we have a pretty robust um, community. Um we then um there's a variety of different things you can do to get started. Um, so you can start writing queries, start building dashboards. Um, there are um, kind of key questions, insights that a lot of our partners are after. And um, a lot of these are kind of publicized in our Discord. Um, we also have a network of what we call ambassadors um, who also you know work with different subgroups and communities within our larger community. Um, so if you join our Discord, you can get involved in those. Um, and then what we'll do is, um, we have, we call it top end programs, basically reward people, um, for how popular their dashboards are. Um, so, um, for every hour that you are in a top, you know, 30, top 50 or whatever, you are earning money, um, for your dashboard. Um, so we have an algorithm that, uh, computes this, um, based on sort of the reach and scale of your dashboard and narratives that you're driving. Um, And so there's a great opportunity for anyone really to come in, start from the beginning and then grow and earn. Um, You know, we've been a great source, I think, of talent um, actually from our community getting jobs in this ecosystem. There's lots of great stories, um, you know, you can see on Twitter of people uh, starting as just an average or a beginner SQL analyst and then going all the way up to getting a job in this industry. Um, And so it's always great when we hear stories like that.
0: That's what I thought. Would happen? <laughs> people are doing <laughs> in, in SQL. You know, that's a, a, I, I. was a manager in a SQL shop for five years at AIG. So, I'm um, nice. always curious how it works. Um, so, you said you said a magic word earlier. Okay. You said you said the word yield. Um, yeah. A lot of people got burned over the past few years chasing yield. Um, you, you know, what's been the role of data analytics and DeFi? Uh, what's the role of yield? And what do you think will be the areas of breakthrough in the next next DeFi growth wave?
1: Yeah, uh, great. A lot of great questions kind of packed into there. So, um, you know, I would, um, let's come back to the yield one. I think there's there's an interesting perspective on, I think, um, you know, uh, are yields a or rather are outsized yields is it a feature or a bug in this space um but um I think you know you know how, what role does data analysis play in DeFi I would say you know one of the most um I think critical use cases for data is really to drive on chain truth um based narratives. so like what is actually really happening not just you know what's being hyped up but what is reality um and I think DeFi is no exception there it's just Just as any other part of the spaces shot shedding light on liquidity um, or trading volumes gives insight into like what's a healthy ecosystem today, um, or what might be about to be a rug pull. Um, I would say when we started Flipside in 2017 the level of complexity uh, to ingest parse and make sense of blockchain data was a fraction of what it is today. over the years we've added multiple platforms, um, L2s or protocols layered on protocols, um, liquidity that's distributed across you know multiple chains. Um, this layering of complexity I think forces not only flip side the space but to shift from to get the full story to shift from a just a chain based perspective uh, to an to an application or a category based perspective. And so what I think, you know, it's maybe not the most exciting breakthrough, but um, I think given, you know, where the space is headed in terms of just the layering of complexity, where we see analytics go or data go is sort of the shift from just a chain-based perspective to an app or category-based perspective. So if you, you know, if you're, um, if you want to look at swap volume on Uniswap, um, you don't want to look at that on just Ethereum. Um, You need to actually get the whole picture across all of the chains to understand the health of what's happening with that protocol. Um, and so we're already doing some of this today at Flipside. We have a cross-chain data schema where you can look at all the deck swaps across all the chains, or you can look at all bridge activity. Um, I think people think really more, uh, the more and more as complexity is layered together, people think in terms of uh, apps or categories. And so I think data is going to shift in that direction to deal with that.
0: Okay. So you're able to get a full picture of the different ecosystems and compare them to how healthy are they? one another. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Everything
1: becomes sort of scattered as we have, um, or f- not scattered, fragmented a bit, um, as you have more and more ecosystems come online and, and each specializing in different things. Um, and so, you know, they all add value in different ways. It's just, uh, how do you get that complete picture from a protocol perspective? Cause from a protocol point of view, you want to be deployed probably in a lot of different places just to get exposure to more and more, um, users.
0: Yeah um and then the yield perspective
1: yeah um so with yield I would say you know you have to know uh what you're getting yourself into um high yields uh you know typically um are 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 high because of they are risk on assets or at least more risk on than other types of assets on chain um and you know, those typically will go down over time as more and more people come in uh, to an ecosystem. Um, that said, I would say, you know, some things are high yield because they are rug pools. Um, and I do think there's an element of the space, um, uh, you know, maybe a DeGen element of the space that um, likes to participate in those. It is fun. I would say that is, you know, that is gambling. Um, but um, there are people that like, you know, it's a rug pool. I think the difference is when you're in a in something that's about to be a rug pool, but you actually don't know what you're in. Um, so, you know, I'm always wary of, um, you know, high yield situations. Like, why is it so high? I would say if you know what you're participating in, that's one thing. But if you don't know what you're participating in, um, that's another.
0: Got it. You know, it's funny because with the gambling perspective, I used to gamble. I used to go to a casino and I love to go to the casino. And now that I've been in crypto for years and wait, when I go to the casino, I don't touch it. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's just a different perspective, I guess. Um, now liquidity you mentioned liquidity, right? Um, mm-hmm. so why, why is keeping track of liquidity in DeFi an integral part of DeFi research for both, you know, your users and companies and also potential investors?
1: Yeah. Um, I think there's two things to watch, to think about um, with liquidity, or at least how I think about it. Um, One is where is liquidity flowing um, and how much is flowing somewhere Um, that tells you a lot about the popularity and the health of an ecosystem. Um, So if I see a lot of liquidity, say flowing to blast, blast is a chain that's um, going to be launching soon. Um, That tells you something about where value might accrue uh, long-term. And then people have various, you know, ideas around, okay, if you attract X amount of capital, okay, that's going to bring builders and so forth. Um, I think the second thing is, um, and this is maybe a bit more in the weeds, but, um, when you're thinking about liquidity on a chain, is there support, um, for a native stablecoin pair? Um, the dev experience in particular becomes very difficult if there's no support for stable coin swapping. Um, so that's the second thing I think there's. You know, when we think about the, this first one, liquidity flows and how much is flowing into an ecosystem, um, there's sort of two competing ideas, I think, for bootstrapping a network. Um, and one is like start with capital or start with users. Um, and if you start with capital, um, you know, example there, like I mentioned Blast before, um, they haven't even launched yet, but they have a multi sig that has something like last time I checked, it was like over $2 billion, maybe it's over three at this point, but locked in a multi sig for people that want to get access to that chain when it launches. Um, the other perspective is to start with users. Um, I think Base did, was a great example of this with their on-chain summer efforts, um, doing Mint, some Mint.fun, um, launch a friend.tech, I think, um, you know, really um, had a huge impact there. Uh, I think about all this though, in the context of like, okay, like, so like, which one, which one is going to be the successful mechanism for bootstrapping a network. Um, and so the context, I think about that, and, and Advisor shared this with me, his kind of perspective. Three, There's sort of three stages, he says, to blockchain users. And I think you have your first stage, which is early adopters that want that dopamine hit of finding the next big thing. Um, the second is people that just like want to have fun they're there to make money. They're they're chasing high yields. Um, they're playing this game sort of musical chairs with, you know, pools being rugged, not being rugged. They're there for airdrop farming or there for points. Um, and then I think the third thing is, is real apps emerge um, that are not necessarily, that have a financial component, but are not financially centric. I think this is a separate talk, but I think everything in crypto ultimately is a finance app, um, even if it is not um centrally a finance app so these three concepts or these three kind of stages early adopters people that just want to have fun or real apps emerge this third one I think the question is like how do you get to escape velocity how do you get to number three um and so you know do you start with capital do you start with users where liquidity is flowing um time will tell like which one works more effectively Essentially, usage and liquidity, I think, are two sides of the same coin. Like, right, you can't play in an arcade if you don't have coins. Um, So, where value ends up sitting, where liquidity sits, can be a big leading indicator of where
0: value may accrue. See, I, I, the concept to me is something that I think a lot of people look for is that concept of exit velocity. Mm -hmm. Opposite. I look to for for a long term sustainability, um, and not to exit. So, why would when exit- I say
1: I would say when I say exit velocity, I don't mean I, I what I meant to say is like um, I, I use the word escape, not exit. So like escape velocity, um, and what I mean there is like okay, so you have a bunch of users that pour into an ecosystem, maybe driven to have fun, maybe driven because of money. Um, Eventually with enough users, with enough capital sitting around, um, the idea is that builders come to an ecosystem, they start building things that have like real value. It's not just gambling. Um, And so some of those users will stick around and start using uh, these real apps. And so what I mean by escape velocity is how do we, is there enough initial activity, enough users, enough capital that real things get built and then real users stay to have a sustainable long-term outcome? Got it. Okay. All
0: right. So I'm looking at things the right way. (laughs) I'm in the third bucket. (laughs) Yeah. So so that's really interesting uh, comparison. You have blast versus base. You know. Yeah. What have you seen had to be the more the more successful at sustainable and long term? Actually, what are the benefits of both right approaches? And what do you see as the one with the more sustainability for long term?
1: Um. I mean, I would, I think time will really tell that I I would say it's pretty unprecedented actually what's happening on blast right now. Um, And so I think I'm, I'm really curious kind of how this sort of unfolds. Um, You know, I think there there's, there's risks to both, right? So in the first example with Blast, like, okay, those people are signing or putting their capital into a contract because they would like to get an airdrop, right? Um, how, you know, what percentage of those people are actually going to start activating in the ecosystem versus what percentage, you know, are going to leave the ecosystem. Um, same thing can be said of like, you know, the basic example of like starting with users, right? Like friend.tech was a fun, interesting app or is, and attracted a lot of users. What percentage of those people are, um, actually sticking around and staying there? Um, the one thing that's interesting about an app like friend.tech though, is, um, it has the power to move value on chain. Um, I haven't looked at the stat in a while, but um, I was doing some analysis on friend.tech a few months ago and something like um, it was like 60 to 70% of all ETH that had been bridged um, over to base was bridged for friend.tech. Um, and that can be driven by an app layer experience. Um, so I think both of these ultimately, though, get to the same challenge, um, right? Like, um our users sticking around so like and our users sticking around there has to be something for them to do and so something for them to do is driven by developers right um and so it depends on how long that interest can be kept so that developers have time to come into the ecosystem and keep building interesting things that
0: keep that value staying within the chain interesting i I didn't yeah I always wanted to know how friend.tech would hold up against, like I'm I'm in a Facebook generation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, High school friends, college friends, we're all on Facebook, right? How can friend.tech or other socialized platforms be a replacement for Facebook over time and what needs they need to do to make it that way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say friend.tech is less a replacement for those things. Um, You know, it's a fun... Friend.tech is, um, you know, a fun way to essentially bet on your friend's popularity. Um, and, uh, you know, there's extensions of that. You could imagine different uh, versions where you take that. Um, I would say Farcaster is more the closest example to replacing, um, you know, a Twitter or a Facebook. Um thing that fascinates me about Farcaster is, like, it is, it is essentially, like, the, I mean, it's not, Twitter was never, was never on chain. Um, but like, if you go back to the early days of Twitter, there was this notion of separation of protocol, uh, from the app layer, the client. Um, and so, you know, you had lots of different client interfaces to, uh, to Twitter. Um, and so now we actually really do have that with Farcaster, you know, you can, um, you create your account, you have your wallet. Um, you know, I have an app on my phone for Farcaster, um, I take my wallet, I go online and I'm using a totally different app, right? And so the app experience is totally decoupled uh, from the protocol. And that means that different clients can organize data in different way and show you different things and um, really give you different types of experiences. So I think that comes with you being able to own your own data. And so all sorts of interesting thing ha- things happen where anyone is free to layer um, novel UX um, on top of that. Um, so I think, you know, that's, I, I kind of see that as an exciting thread um, or trend of a path where we're going to head down.
0: Improved user experience. that's something that's been missing <laughs> for years. Yes. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Big problem. So um, with that said, you know, DeFi is complicated. You yeah. know, or at least people think it is. How do we get that experience to be for the user so that it becomes less complicated while they're using it and they have a better understanding and they're able to, you know, assess liquidity in an easy way um, that's easy for them
1: right um so I think that depends on who the end user ultimately ends up being for some of these platforms like if you are trying to provide liquidity or trying to make investments um then I think you know, being cognizant of you know dex volume or where liquidity is flowing is very important. If you're just the an average user that's trying to accomplish something on chain, um, where to accomplish that task you might need to you know swap um, token A for token B. Um, I think that's a different story, and I think we have a major UX problem right now where um, you know people have to. G- go from app to app to app to accomplish a task. So like any task is like a series of, of different, you know, there's different paths you could take to accomplish that task. And so the challenge or the opportunity rather I see is um, can we build a UX on top of this um, that actually enables us to make that path really simple for the average user. Um, And we totally can right? you uh, any of these protocols um, can be layered and can be, um, Put together into a cohesive experience. Um, we just we really haven't invested as a space, um, or I haven't seen anything um, that has done that just yet.
0: Right, just yet. But yeah, but because because they're moving from protocol to protocol to protocol, there's bridge hacks. There's a lot of them in DeFi, yeah. you know, rug pools, bridge hacks. How can we how can we stave them off? you know for the future what are your thoughts on how that needs to be done so we can we can get we can have that not be a thing anymore yeah i mean a lot
1: of hacks um are because traditional bridging um, is is um well in traditional bridging right you lock up tokens on one side um, and then you're issued or minted a token on the other chain and so there's this huge honeypot right of tokens on one chain that can be that hackers can go after um, and because, you know, code is written by humans and um, humans uh, have flaws and uh, introduce errors into systems, I think any system, um, you know, can be prone uh, to a hack. Of course, there's like, you know, robust checks and security audits and things like that. These things go through and some of them that have gone through more extensive audits, uh, you know, are not as easily hacked. But even things that have gone through audits have been hacked. Um what I, I guess with bridging, what I'm most excited about um, is um, something called intent-based bridging, um, where instead of you um, committing the actions of, okay, I'm going to do this action A, action B, action C, um, and you lock up your token somewhere, you kind of declare out to a network, I would like to move my assets, you know, from Ethereum to Polygon. Um, and then somebody um off-chain, a network of relayers, seekers, they compete to solve that and do that for me. Um there's this concept of where, you know, I mean, you can still get some of the honey, honeypot stuff if you are putting locking your tokens on one side into something. Um, but there's versions of this um where you burn your token. Um, so you don't and then you you burn it on one chain, and then the other chain, um, you are minted that native token uh from this you know relayer seeker network and so you eliminate the honeypot uh from the scenario um and so that kind of eliminates you know there's nothing to hack um so I, I think there's a lot of exciting research happening uh with that um i've heard some buzz that maybe usdc might be adopting some of this um so we'll see there's there's some interesting stuff i think happening there related to bridging um on rug pools i would say you know this again, this is like, is this a feature, is this a bug? Like uh, rug pools will sort of, when you think about AMMs, liquidity pools, they will sort of all, there's always the possibility for them existing. Uh, the larger the uh, the pool, the more capital in the pool, the less prone um, I would say you are to this sort of exploit. Um, you know, there are also other rug pools where, you know, people know that like, you know, the, there's high yields, um, but like I said before, people know what they're getting into, right? It's a game of who is the last one standing in the pool. Um, so just know what you're getting into. Um, there, we've uncovered so many um, things just through kind of investigating a bit on you know, these. We, there's this concept sometimes you'll see on Twitter, like people will pump up different new pools or tokens that are emerging. Um, and then and a lot of these um, accounts are actually connected um, and especially like whale accounts. Um, And so there will be these coordinated efforts um, to draw interest to a newly created liquidity pool, um, essentially to get a bunch of people to come into the pool, provide initial capital. um, And then they'll basically rug pool by swapping out to the more valuable asset. Um, It looks decentralized. It looks like it's all these different actors and people. But then if you actually look on chain, once you get some other wallets, you can actually see they're all clustered together and they're the same identity. Um, so I'm always, you know, wary of like anyone who's like, got to get into this new token with this high yield, um, because we've seen so many times how these things are just coordinated
0: efforts uh, to exploit um, the average user. I hate to name names of cryptos, but I think I've seen that. <laughs> oh, I think um, we all,
1: yeah, I've seen that. No, maybe some people that do that.
0: <laughs> okay, great. I don't want to name names. Um, yeah, no <laughs> so we are i hope and i could be wrong but i hope i'm not wrong is we're headed full <laughs> cycle right i hope uh, so we, we haven't seen it yet i mean we've seen a little bit of, of price increases over a few things but we haven't seen you know what we had back in 2021 yet um but certain certain schools of thought are that middleware pin, and ai mm. will play a na- major role in the next bull in the next bull cycle um what metrics should we be on the lookout for, for those And what are your thoughts on maybe a deep in summer or an AI summer or some, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. what do you.
1: I think so. I, I, like to separate this, um, into two parts when I think about, uh, you know, are we on the verge of an ex bull run? Um, I think if you look historically, um, bull runs, um, are always a function of, um, global, uh, liquidity, um, and so there's sort of this macro, what's the macro environment that we're in? Um, and that's typically driven by uh, central banks, namely the US Fed um, with interest rates. And so I think if we, if interest rates can hold, um, or if they go lower, that's very bullish um, for opening up more liquidity that has the potential to flow in um, every sort of, we've definitely, we, you know, we've been in a Low interest rate environment we had been for a while, but every sort of bull market has coincided with um, sort of this, uh, you know, increasing of liquidity by the Fed in the market. Uh, the second macro thing would be like Bitcoin halving. Um, bull markets have always coincided with those, um, and I think the ETFs as well. They create this new sort of funnel into the ecosystem for folks um, that may be you know crypto curious. Um, so that's kind of to me like okay overall is the macro environment set. Um, And then it's like, okay, here's the liquidity TAM, right? Here's the potential money that could flow into this space. Um, And then it's a question of, you know, where does it flow? Um, Bitcoin and ETH, you know, for as silly as it sounds, are like the, you know, the risk off assets. Uh, Solana might kind of fit into that, starting maybe to fit into that category. and then it becomes what are the risk at, risk on assets that people are looking uh to put their money into and that's where these narratives start to come into play um is that going to be deep in is it going to be ai um i don't really have a strong opinion on whether it's deep in it's ai or it's something else i i would say that you know deep in i i love the concept i think it's um it's a really great um real world use case that's not completely you know it's a nice blend of like how do you? So one of the things actually got me really interested in crypto um, to begin with. But how do you uh, leverage a global network of people of actors um, to come together to do something? Um, you know, typically this is the role when you think about um, infrastructure uh, that governments typically play. They step in and provide incentives, um, and so you know this kind of replaces the role of government in that sense. Um, if you think about decentralized infrastructure, right? You're getting people from all over the world to. Commit their own resources, incentivized by tokens. Um, you know, we're seeing that I think with you know with telecom networks, um, but I think it's it's even interesting. You think about that with scientific research, um, or even renting out GPUs or um, your own training data for AI. Um, so I think that's a fascinating narrative that could develop. A um, it's an exciting one. I, I don't know if that one will manifest or not, but um, it seems like a promising one. Uh, on AI I would say I'm most excited about blockchain uh, as an antidote to the provenance problem uh, that's created um you know by AI um how do you know uh you know if an image is in fact its original version uh, I think you know we also faced a lot of you we face a lot of UX challenges here um you know first how do you you um, auto write that first version of a photo or a video on chain or if you're looking at an image how do you validate that that image is real without having to like copy and paste it into some tool right if 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 you can we have the power to write anything on chain today but I think it's more you know when you're viewing when you're scrolling something no one's going to be like taking this image and moving it somewhere else so how do you validate that um, that becomes I think more of the challenge a ux challenge
0: there I like that as an anecdote to providence. I like it. That's what I've been. That's how I've been looking at it too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one thing with the macro environment is that you know we have some elections coming up. Yeah, you know that's going to be a big factor. But in the around the world, right? So how do you think yeah. that'll, that'll that'll help with the macro? Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not going to comment too deeply on that, but yeah. <laughs> it definitely uh, is another big macro factor. Yes.
0: Okay. So, um, interesting. I want to thank you very much um, for your time today. I really enjoyed talking to you, and the time flew by. <laughs> so, everyone, uh, yeah, thank question. you so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah I have one last question for you. Um, and it's, it's, this one's easy. It's how can people find out more information about you, about Flipside? Um, about your company become a client or a a user Um, how can they do that
1: yeah Um, so I'd say the first thing is go to um, flipsidecrypto.com it's free to sign up Um, you can we have a a very generous um, free tier of usage. Um, actually, the only time that we charge people is when you want to build, like, say, a company on top of us. Um, other than that, like, you pretty much are free to use um, our data how you see fit. Um, and if you do want to build something really serious, um, you know, we're willing to work with people on that. Um, the second thing is, I, you know, if you're if you are a blockchain um, or if you are a protocol. Um, We'd love to talk. Um, We've helped a lot of uh, customers uh, grow in this space, Um, have been a big reason for their growth. Um, And so we're always on the lookout for, you know, who can we partner with next um, to really ultimately fulfill our mission of helping blockchain ecosystems succeed. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. It was great to be on.